The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have your Bible, would you open it to Genesis chapter 20? Genesis chapter 20. As we continue our walk through this life of Abraham, Genesis chapter 20, starting in verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God calls me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And she returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold... My land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had chosen all the wombs the house I've closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Well, Abraham is 
moving again. We don't exactly know why Abraham has begun to move again. It doesn't tell us. The Lord doesn't reveal that to us, so we won't speculate as to why he is on the move again, but he is on the move again. And as he is on the move again, we see the repeat of a previous sin rear its ugly head. Um, This should be a familiar story to us. It's familiar both in the historical narrative of Abraham and it's familiar, I think, probably in our own lives, isn't it? A sin that is repeated. A sin that is repeated. This morning to guide us through this chapter, we're going to sort of hang on three words. Those words are insecurity, innocence, and integrity. Last week, my understanding is Jacob said that he channeled his inner Jason Seals and had some alliterated points. This morning, I channeled my inner Jacob Freeman because he gave me those words. Well done. Genesis 20, verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev, and he lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he journeyed, he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. This is a repeat of Genesis chapter 12. As Abraham follows the instruction of God to leave his father's house and journey, sojourn to a place that eventually God would show him what would be a promised land for him. And that on him, on Abraham, there would be the great blessings of God. That God would bless him and God would multiply him and God would make of him a great nation. And that through him and his offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that if anyone cursed Abraham, they would be cursed. But if anyone blessed Abraham, they would be blessed. And so Abraham leaves the Ur of the Chaldees and begins to travel to where God would show him. And he comes to this land of Canaan. Though God had not delivered it into his hand, Abraham was living there um, among the peoples of Canaan until a A famine, a drought entered the land. And in Genesis 12, Abraham takes matters into his own hands and he travels down to Egypt. Egypt is sort of insulated from any sort of famine or um, drought because of the nature of a a river um, like the Nile. It's It's a fertile crescent there. And so while the arid desert areas of the Middle East suffered greatly from um, droughts. Uh, Egypt did not. And so he went there, not under the leading of, of God, but really in a moment of weak faith. And as he goes there, he has a great concern, and his concern is 
that he has a beautiful wife, a beautiful wife. I understand what that's like. And he's worried that wherever he goes, that the kings there would take his life in order to take his wife. And so while in Egypt he hatched a plan, we come to find out in these verses that this had been the plan all along, rehearsed over and over again by Abram and Sarai. And that is to say that Sarah is his sister so that they would not deal harshly with Abraham. And so Abraham has done this before. He's committed this this grievous sin before in Genesis chapter 12. There, there There are some that think that this is the exact same exact same incident that happens in Genesis 12 and that Moses just sort of um, gets confused or forgets that he had already told us. Um, that's just silly. Those, those people are, are wrong. Those people are wrong. Um, it isn't. It isn't. Um, Abraham is, is at it again. You see, this, this sin that continues to rear its head in Abraham comes from a place of insecurity, doesn't it? It came from a place of insecurity in Genesis chapter 12 with the, the state of the um, environment that he was in. He was insecure about God's provision for him in terms of food. It also rears its ugly head in his insecurity that God would protect him from the hand of another king who would maybe seek to do him harm to take his wife. Abraham, in both of these instances, is afraid. He's afraid of what would come of him. He's acting out of fear and not out of faith. Now, from this side of things, as we stand here thousands of years later, looking at the the full... um, Word of God revealed to us, and we're able to look at the full arc of the story, the narrative of Abraham. This seems crazy to me. Does this seem crazy to you? I mean, of all the things that Abraham has witnessed, of all the things that he's seen, of all the things that he's heard, of all the ways that God has spoken to him and made promises, of all the ways that God has been faithful to his promises and to his to protect Abraham. Here is is Abraham still afraid, still worried. Abraham admits this much to Abimelech, doesn't he? When Abimelech comes to him and says, why have you done this to me? Why have you done this to my people? What did you see in us that would cause you to bring such a sin upon us? Why have you done these things to us? Verse 11, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. He admits that this sin came out of a place of insecurity. Can you feel the irony in Abraham's words here? 
The irony is Abraham thinks that there is no fear of God among these people. Yet the reality is there is more fear of God in these people than there is in Abraham. And Abraham is more afraid of them than he is God. And in his insecurity, Abraham begins to try to justify what he's done, doesn't he? He tries to justify that it wasn't all a lie. It was somewhat true, maybe a a half-truth. Besides, verse 12, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife's. She is his half-sister. But that does not make this any less of a grievous sin. Verse 13, And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, I I can't help but feel Genesis 3 in those words. It was God who caused this. When God called me to leave, to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Same story over again. For those who say it is literally the same story, my question to them is, do you not know your own heart? Because aren't we all prone to fall into the same sins over and over again? Any man who fails once and in his failing thinks that he's got away with it or has come out better because of it is likely to fail Twice. And that's Abram. And that's Abraham. Sinning in Egypt and leaving with great possessions. Don't we all struggle over and over again with the same sins? It seems that not only is Abraham insecure and afraid. He's also indifferent to his sin. They had planned this all alone. And instead of learning the lesson the first time, a new situation leads to the same old failures. Aren't we all prone to the same? Have you ever wondered, why is it that we struggle with the same sins over and over and over again? It could be that it comes from a place of insecurity. It could be that we aren't secure knowing that the Lord God Almighty, the sovereign creator of all things, is the one who is in sovereign control. And so we, out of fear and insecurity, attempt to take things into our own hands. 
never learning the lesson that God is sovereign and faithful, and he is bigger than any of our problems, and that we can rest secure by faith in him. It could come from a place of insecurity. It could come from a place of indifference where we try to justify our sins or shift the blame to someone else or say that it's not as bad as it really is. But it always comes from a distrust of God's word. That's what strikes me the most here in this insecurity of Abram. Of Abraham. How quickly it seems he has forgotten God's word to him. How quickly it seems he has stopped to trust in the promises of God revealed to him through God's words to him. What did God tell him in Genesis 15? He said, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. I am your protector. I am the one who is going before you. I am the one preparing the way before you. There is no reason to fear. Instead, rest secure wherever you are because I am the Lord God Almighty. And yet here is Abram distrusting God's word. Our sin, no matter how small or how big, is always a rejection and a distrust of God's Word. We can try to justify it. We can try to rationalize it. We can try to excuse it. But when we sin, we reject the Word of God. When we sin, what we are saying is that whatever that sin may be is better than God. And the reality is that for us, we must love Jesus more than we love our sin. We must trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves. We must have faith and not fear. Also don't want to move beyond Abraham's sin without talking about one of the most heartbreaking verses in this passage. It comes in verse 13. And when God calls me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me. This is Abram telling his wife, this is the kindness you must show me. At every place we come, 
say you're, I'm your brother. You know, some translations translate this. This is how you show your love for me. What a heartbreaking failure of a husband. How many marriages have been jeopardized in the phrase, this is how you can show your love for me. If Abraham really loved his wife, he would have done everything he could have done to protect her. But instead, he's only worried about his own protection. What does this, how does this, where does this jeopardize Sarah? We talk about being put in jeopardy. Abraham, you are willing to give your wife to another man because you're worried about yourself? You kidding me? What a helpful reminder to me as a husband, and I hope to you, that it doesn't really need to be about us, does it? Where's Abraham's focus here? His focus is on, this is the kindness you can do to me. And marriages are jeopardized when people are self-centered and narcissistic. We're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Seeking her good, even if it means suffering and death. This is how you can show your love to me, Sarah. Take that and compare that to the unconditional love of God. God makes no demands. This is how you show your love for me. He loved us even when we didn't love him. He loved us when we didn't deserve His love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's unconditional love in God. Look at the life of Abraham. Look at this story. We're going to get there in, in the end. God is still faithful to Abraham. He still is faithful to Abraham. What unconditional love. What unconditional love. The Father has for us. And here's Abraham putting conditions on Sarah that lead her into great danger. Abraham is insecure. He's afraid. He's afraid. We also see in this text the repetition of the words innocence and integrity. Innocence and integrity. And it's probably important to take those two together because they do work hand in hand. We're sort of introduced to what has happened here in verse 3. As God comes to Abimelech in a dream... By night, verse 3, and 
God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man. And you think you've had a nightmare. I mean, can you imagine God coming and saying, Behold, you, Abimelech, you are a dead man. Because of the woman whom you have taken. For she is a man's wife. God is is doing two things here. The first thing that God is doing is God is protecting His promises, isn't He? God is protecting His promises. God had made a promise to Abraham that He would have an offspring born of Sarah. And that's about to happen. But this puts all of that in jeopardy, doesn't it? Once she conceives... What would people say? Well, how do we know? It's Abraham. God is protecting His promises as He preemptively comes to Abimelech in a dream. God's protecting His promises because He's faithful to His promises. The second thing that God is doing is God is confirming the consequences of sin. Isn't He? Abimelech, you are a dead man. You're a dead man, Abimelech. Because of your sin, you are a dead man. And guess what? God says the same exact thing to all of humanity. Because of our sins, we are dead men. We are dead women. For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We just read it together. The wages of sin is death. Before a holy God, a sinful person deserves death. It is the right and righteous, just judgment of a holy God to condemn the sinner because of his sin to death. Now you might be reading this and you might say, well, Abimelech hears he didn't know. He didn't know. Guess what? It doesn't matter. Ignorance is no excuse before a holy God. The scriptures say in Romans chapter 1 that there is enough evidence of God in creation to condemn the whole world. His invisible attributes have been made clearly Known, Romans 1. Meaning that there is enough evidence in creation of God to condemn the world. That ignorance is no excuse. There is not enough to save a person unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though Abimelech's sin here does not seem to be a sin of commission, meaning one that he committed, it does seem to be a sin of omission. And a sin is still a sin. Ignorance is no excuse. Church, that is why we must, must take the gospel to the nations. Because ignorance is of no excuse. 
If ignorance was an excuse, then the best thing we could do is never leave the walls of the church. Right? Don't tell anybody. Because once they hear, then they have no claim to, to innocence through ignorance. But there is no claim to innocence through ignorance. Therefore, we must take the gospel to the nations. They need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ because they are dead men and women in their sin. This is Abimelech. He is the nations in need of a Savior and God in His sovereignty comes in a dream. You're a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is another man's wife. Now Abimelech, verse 4, had not approached her. And so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother, and the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Abimelech, I did, God, I did not know. I did not know, God. Had I known, it would have been different, but I did not know. Abimelech says, the integrity of my heart and the innocent of my hands, I've, I've done this. It's, this is Abimelech saying of God, would you do this to us? I'm innocent and I'm walking in integrity. You see, God had, in our narrative at least, just gone on record that he wouldn't destroy the innocent, right? This is conversation about Sodom. If I find 50 innocent men, will you still destroy them? No. 40, 30, you know, it just keeps going. No. Find me the innocent and I will not destroy Sodom. The problem is there was no innocence there. Amalek says, I'm innocent of this sin and I'm walking in the integrity of my heart. Lord, would you do this? Would you do this to us? Verse 6, God said to him in response, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. God knows the hearts of men. There's nothing that can be hidden from him. And then listen to the sovereignty of God. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Yes, Abimelech, I know, God says, that you think you are good in this situation. But I've got some news for you. I am the one who is good. God is the one who is good here, not Abimelech. For no one is good. No, not one. No one seeks God. We just read it. God is the good one here. God is the sovereign one here. God is the one here restraining sin. Verse 7, Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. 
It's God saying, Abimelech, I know that you did this in innocence and integrity, but you are still in jeopardy because of your sin. The righteous judgment is still death upon you, Abimelech. He has acted as far as he knew in uprightness and in integrity up until this point, but he was not out of danger yet. And so, verse 8, Abimelech rose early in the morning, and he called his servants and he told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Verse 8 is repentance. Abimelech meets with God in the night and in the very first moment possible he rises to do exactly as God has commanded turning from his sin this is repentance again the irony is thick here verse 8 and the men were very much afraid Afraid of what? Afraid of God. Guess what? There is a fear of God in this place. Their response is the very thing that Abraham believed they did not have. A fear of God. Church, the question is, what do we do when we are confronted in our sin? Do we seek to minimize? Do we seek to rationalize? Do we seek to excuse it away? Or are we quick to repent in fear before a holy God? Isn't it crazy that this godless pagan king is acting more godly than God's chosen man. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not be done. I I, I love that. I mean, like, this this is a man... In Abimelech, who isn't a God-fearer. Before this, he is now. (laughs) Make no mistake about it. When God meets with you and says, you're a dead man, guess what? Now you're a God-fearer. But even he knows this isn't right. What you've done isn't right. Why have you done this thing, Abraham? It, It feels like... God has told Abimelech, Abraham Abraham is a prophet. And it's almost like Abimelech is going to Abraham saying, don't you know better? Like you had to know better. So why did you do this? Was there something I did? Was there something I said? Was there something my people said? Like, why have you done this? Again, Abimelech, in innocence and integrity, and Abraham is dishonest and distrusting. 
Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did such a thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Listen to his justifications here. Compare Abraham's justification of his sin to Abimelech's rising early to deal with his sin. Abraham should have been the example of faith to Abimelech. But he fails in that as well. Abraham should have been a blessing to the nations. But he's become a curse. When God calls me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. And so Abimelech goes above and beyond what God had required. What did God require of Abimelech? God required of Abimelech to not touch Sarah and to give her back to Abraham. And so what does he do? He goes above and beyond. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell wherever it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. I can't help but think that's a little bit of sarcasm there. I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. And that's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you, Sarah, you're vindicated. God protecting his promises. And then the most remarkable verse of all, verse 17, because even in it all, because of God's grace and his grace alone, God's hand is still with Abraham. Then Abraham prayed to God, And God healed Abimelech, and he also healed his wife and his female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So what do we take from this passage of recurring sin? Well, there's a number of things. First, I would say that we must trust God and leave the consequences up to him. Abraham doesn't do that. Instead, he acts out of insecurity, tries to take things in his own hands, and is distrusting of the promises of God because he's worried about what would happen if he didn't. Church, we should always trust God and leave the consequences up to Him. If you make a decision in which you are walking in integrity and upright, honoring God, obeying Him, trusting Him and His Word, you can always rest assured 
that whatever the consequences are, therefore you're good. Second thing we can do is obey God as an example to the world. Obey God as an example to the world. So saddening here that Abraham should have been the example and the blessing, and instead, he is the unrighteous and the curse. May the world not be more righteous than we are. Obey God as an example to the world to where our words and the proclamation of the gospel line up with our actions in our walking with God. It is really bad theology to say, preach the gospel always, but when necessary, use words. That's, that's really bad theology because the Bible's pretty clear. How will they believe unless they hear? You can't proclaim the gospel without words. It's impossible. But our living must meet our proclamation. Obey God as an example to the world. Thirdly, we do that as we walk in integrity and innocence before God and men. Being quick to repent when we sin. And then lastly, trust in God's grace. What we see in this story is a gracious God, don't we? Two main characters here, Abimelech and Abraham, and God is gracious to both. God is gracious to Abimelech in warning him in a dream instead of just bringing judgment upon him. That was gracious of God, wasn't it? God would have had every right to kill Abimelech in his sleep, but instead he graciously comes to him. God is gracious to him in the timing of his warning that it comes before an even more grievous sin could be committed. God is gracious to him in the mode and the message of his warning, guiding him through his word. God is gracious in accepting Abimelech's explanation of things. God is gracious in telling Abimelech how to make it right. God is gracious in keeping Abimelech from further sin. God is gracious towards Abimelech in hearing Abraham's prayer on behalf of his people. God is gracious to a man that he did not have to be gracious to. But God is gracious. And God is gracious to Abraham, isn't he? He's gracious to Abraham in protecting his plans and his promises. And God is gracious to Abraham in not forsaking him, even though he deserved it. And church, God is gracious to you. And God is gracious to me. Because we, like 
Abimelech are dead men and women, dead in our trespasses and sins. We, like Abraham, are dead in the sin of distrusting God and his word. Yet God is gracious to those he's called unto himself. And he is patient. He is long-suffering, full of mercy, everlasting kindness to lead, to guide, to protect, to bless. Faithful to his promises, both to Abraham and through Abraham's offspring, Jesus Christ, he's faithful to us if we come to Christ in faith, repenting of our sins. Father, thank you that you are a gracious kind, loving God, faithful from generation to generation, everlasting. Faithful to your word, faithful to your promises. Every promise finds its yes in Jesus Christ. May we, like Abimelech, be quick to repent of our sins. May we, like Abraham, be used for the sake of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.